Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verse 1, and I'll read through verse 6. Therefore, leaving the principles and the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. All right, you may be seated. The passage of Scripture that I've read to you is dealing with falling away. Now, in the Scripture, I differentiate some difference between backsliding and falling away. Now, I'm not going to preach on either one tonight, but I know that this a passage of Scripture like this will raise some questions. I suppose that backsliding simply means that if at any time in your life you were closer to God than what you are now, you have slid backwards. I suppose that's what backsliding means. Falling away, however, is making reference to reaching a point of no return in your experience with God. Not just kind of, what can you do? There's one thing that sin does. It destroys the will of man. And if the will has been completely destroyed, can God save just anybody? It appears that God can save just anybody. However, God does not in any way make a person be saved against their will. So when you're dealing with sin, remember this, that you're dealing with something more powerful than yourself. Now, I would like to say something about this. I do not, I believe that God is omnipotent. I believe that God is omniscient and omnipresent. He is all-powerful, He knows all, and He is everywhere. I do not believe that the devil is omnipotent. I do not believe that the devil is omniscient. Neither do I believe that he is omnipresent. I do not believe that the devil is all-powerful. I don't believe that he knows everything, and I don't believe that he can be every place at one time. But for sure, none of us are a match for the devil without the presence of the Lord. And if you're dealing with sin, you're dealing with something that's bigger than yourself. And the purpose of sin is that it destroys the will of man to make man not want to do any differently. And until such a time that the will is reconstructed, are renewed, a person cannot be saved. You know, you reach a point where you sear your conscience and you don't want to do any better. Can God save a man who doesn't want to do differently? No. Not until such a time that his will has been restored or rebuilt. Now, I didn't come here tonight to talk about that particular subject, but I know that a passage of Scripture like this will raise questions. I'd like to take verse 5 and speak to you tonight on the subject, the powers of the world to come. The Scripture says, And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Now, if I understand the Scripture correctly, the world to come is making reference to the age to come. Now, we quite often say, well, that's talking about eternity. Well, true enough that we can make reference to the, this to eternity. However, the word age itself makes reference to time. Time is simply a way of measuring duration. Now, you know, when you get into eternity, there will be no sun nor moon from the establishing of the fourth day of creation until such a time 
that God allows us to enter into eternity, there will be a way in which you and I can measure duration. He put the sun and the moon here for times, for days and seasons. And all clocks are readjusted by the sun. And you'll find out on December the 31st of each year, they usually publish some kind of report stating that the mechanical watches that keep international time were like four-tenths of one second off. And they take and reset the time on December the 31st of every year. So time is a way of measuring duration. When we enter into eternity, eternity in hell is one long night. And eternity in heaven is one long day. And the reason why that we can't say, well, we've been here now a million years, is because there will be no measurable means of duration in eternity. You see, God doesn't keep time like us. That's why 1,000 years to man is one day with God. You see, we're confined to the planet Earth. And all we know is 24 hours, one month, one year, a lifetime. But you see, God doesn't just look down upon the planet Earth. If you go to Mars, a year is much, much longer than here. Mercury, a year is much shorter. If you get way out to the extremities of our present solar system, the Pluto and some of them, you'll find out that one year sometimes can be four and five hundred years long. So when God, who has his headquarters outside of even our immediate solar system, never measures time the way we measure time. So sometimes while we're waiting and waiting and longing, we say, oh, I, I fasted for three days. God says, well, he's been without food now for, I mean, how long would God say? You say, well, I've been waiting now, Lord, for an answer for a whole week. I think one of the important things of Jesus Christ coming to the earth, however, and one of the most important things about mediatorialship is that God allowed himself to look at the problems of man through the eyes of a man. And since the birth of Jesus, God has viewed the human race differently. Now, the age to come, or the world to come, I believe is making reference to an age found in the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter, verse 6. And I assume that uh, you folks are well acquainted with the age called the, the millennium or the millennial reign. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, if you're a guest here and, and you're not acquainted with, with the, the particular teachings of the Bible, and we're not so presumptuous to say that you're not, but I think it'd be good for all of us to just view certain things. There will be a time in which the Lord Jesus Christ himself shall reign over this, this planet earth right here for a thousand years. Now when I say right here, I'm not talking about he's going to be right here. But I am a firm believer that there will be a time in which the Lord shall come back and reign on the earth. Now some people say, well, he's going to reign over the earth. I'll not dispute that with you other than to tell you that I personally believe that the Lord's going to reign right here on the earth. And I know some of the teachings that state that he can't. But I also believe that he will. Brother Enquist teaches it. Otherwise, like I said, you believe him. There are many times we did concerning prophecy that the apostles and the prophets of old did not even know how it would be fulfilled until such a time that it was fulfilled. And then they said... Oh, now I remember. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet. Then it came to their mind. 
when they saw it fulfilled. So I don't claim to be a, a, an expert in Bible prophecy, but I just kind of feel something as I prayed this afternoon that I need to talk to you about tonight. Now, <clears throat> when I look at this dispensation, I realize that it is a thousand years that there have been dispensations prior to this. Now, dispensation, according to the Scripture, is simply a period of time that God dealt with man a certain way. So if you go looking in the Bible, you'll not find the Bible divided in certain dispensation. There was one dispensation called the dispensation of innocency. That's when Adam and Eve lived and dwelled in the garden and God talked to them personally in the cool of the day. And then, of course, after that dispensation, God made a new covenant. Now, dispensations in the Bible are quickly and readily identified by God establishing a new covenant through a particular person for the entire human race. That's a very, very important thing that we understand. So we've had several dispensations in the past. The Garden of Eden dispensation, which is called the dispensation of innocency, and then, of course, the conscience dispensation that dealt with Cain and Abel and such. After that, then we find a dispensation that's known as the human government dispensation. Now, in each dispensation, we find that God dealt with men differently than he did before. Now, that doesn't mean that all the commandments in one dispensation were completely eliminated and God started all over again. We find a lot of things that God established under the law that are still in force today. Which ones? Well, we look in the New Testament to find out which ones are fortified. And we find out that much of the, the Mosaic law is still in operation today because the apostles came back and they taught that. Well, some of them were types and shadows of certain things to come. Under the promised dispensation, we find that God made a covenant with Abraham and it was to be an everlasting covenant and it dealt with circumcision. Is circumcision in effect today? The Scripture says it is. But you see, the physical circumcision in the Old Testament was a type or a shadow of an inner work of grace that's to take place in a man's heart today. And so it's clearly understood by the teaching of the New Testament. But as we go down through the dispensations, we find that you and I presently are in the dispensation called the church dispensation, the Holy Ghost dispensation, or the period or age of grace. Now, at the end of this dispensation, the Lord Jesus Christ will come back for all of those who have experienced the Holy Ghost, who are in the church, for He is coming back after a church without spot nor wrinkle. Now, in our present day, to a lot of people, the word church is a dirty word. But let me inform you, Christ died on the cross to purchase the New Testament church according to Acts 20:28. 20, and the word church happened to be part of God's vernacular. And regardless of how we look at it in this day, that happens to be the language that God himself used. It means the called out one. comes from the Greek word ecclesia. simply means that you and I came out of a world of sin. We came out of a world of iniquity by the call of a master. Praise God. So we're here by divine choice. God chose us. We didn't choose him. He called us by name and said, I want you to come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. Yeah. Praise God. So the church is God's idea, regardless of how some people want to demean the word and regardless of how they want to look at it. At the end of this dispensation, the Lord is coming back for this church. Praise God. We're seeing some miracles in our land like you never believe. I've recently baptized people and seen them filled with the Holy Ghost who did not know that there would be a rapture take place, I have also recently baptized people and heard them speak with tongues that did not even know that there was a hell or a heaven. You know, sometimes you talk about scaring people into being saved and hear people that are talking in tongues and filled with the Holy Ghost that don't know what in the world is going to happen to them past this hour. What would cause that? The Holy Spirit that moves upon them, that convicts them of their sin. They know they're doing things that are wrong. But for why and what reason, they don't know. And what are the consequences? They still don't know. But they don't feel good about it, so they repent. Praise God. I just baptized a lady last weekend who this week told me, you mean to tell me there's a lake of fire in a heaven? You mean to tell me that Jesus Christ is really coming back? I said, yes. She said, I didn't know that. 
Because she'd been talking in tongues for a whole week. <laughs> so you can't say she was saved because she was afraid to burn. And she wasn't saved because she was looking forward to heaven. She just felt bad about her sin and repented and got filled with the Holy Ghost. But the Lord's coming back after the church. And then the earth will go into the period called the tribulation. Now, I would not positively stand here to tell you how long the tribulation period is. But the inquest believes it's how long? Seven years. All right, we're just going to say seven years. Okay? All right, let's suppose that, that the Lord, let's suppose the trumpet blows tonight. Now, what's going to happen to you? You'll be caught up to meet him in the air. Now, if you're not full of the Holy Ghost and living a God-fearing life, you won't be caught up. Then you know what's going to happen to you? Oh, you'll probably be killed during the tribulation period. Because remember that there's one great calamity that takes place now. Let's say there are four billion people right here on the earth now. And if there's one great calamity of war and famine that kills off one-fourth of the world's population. That means there are three billion people left because one billion die. And then there's another great calamity in which a third part of the earth is killed. Now then if you take a third of three billion, then in two great calamities you have one-half of the world's population dying in a few short years. You know, if you're sitting around here waiting and thinking, well, you know, after the rapture takes place, I think I'd still be saved. Listen, you've got some, some mighty, mighty, mighty uh, distorted thinking. If you really know anything about the Bible. Because the Bible doesn't even give us a promise that we'll go through the tribulation period. Does it? No, it does not. But I will say this, at the end of the tribulation period, when all of the armies of the earth gathered to battle, the Lord's going to come down and that's what we call the battle of Armageddon that's spoken of here in the latter chapters of the book of Revelation. He's going to stop it all. And then He will set up His reign. Now, if you go back to the book of Revelations, <clears throat> the fifth chapter, verse 5, the church is in heaven. Now, this is before the tribulation period. I must assume that the 24 elders are a type of the Old Testament and New Testament saints. Because the Scripture says in verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast been redeemed and hast hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. In other words, there's a group of people at this time, that, that of the reading of this, there's a group of people who are in heaven that has been redeemed by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The New Testament church is raptured in verse 4, or chapter 4. Now here's what happens. God says that none of those are worthy to open or loose the seals that will bring judgment upon the earth. And so they're taken out at the end of the grace dispensation before judgment comes. God, however, gives us this promise. He has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So at the battle of Armageddon, God's coming back with his children to reign on the earth. Now, I believe that he will set up his reign in Jerusalem. But where are we going to be? Now, this is 1981. It's hard for you to believe that maybe 1988 that you might be back in Janesville. I'm not kidding you. I don't think we're going to all be in Jerusalem. God's got a station throughout the earth. Now, remember, during this period called the millennium, the thousand years, there will be mortal beings living here along with immortal beings. 
You and I will be changed when we go up in the rapture. But you see, at the battle of Armageddon, everyone is not killed. The Scripture doesn't say everyone is killed. Even though all the people gathered there to battle, it doesn't say that every person in all the world would be gathered there. And so there will be some people who will go into the millennium that are mortal beings. God's going to take the devil and bind him and cast him into the lake of fire and set up an earthly kingdom here. Now as far as I can see in my search of the Scripture, this is really the extension of the first dispensation. See, sometimes we say, well, Adam and Eve were supposed to live in the Garden of Eden. Well, it's true that God placed them there, but I can't find anything in Scripture telling me they're supposed to stay there. In fact, the Bible says that they were to multiply and they were to replenish the earth, and the Bible says that they were subdue, to subdue the entire earth. I do not believe that it was God's will that Adam and Eve just stay in the garden. Now, they were in the garden and placed in the garden, but it's my firm belief that the whole world was to become a garden in which they were to live. A place of peace and a place of paradise if they had not have sinned. You see, the fall of man was not in the plan of God. Now you say, what do you mean in the plan of God? Well, true enough, because of his foreknowledge, he knew that man would sin, and he provided from the very beginning of time a plan in which man was to be redeemed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Word here comes from the Greek word logos, which simply means the plan, the pattern, the blueprint. Before man sinned, God had provided in his mind a way to take care of him. But when I say it was not in the original plan, it's like the planning of this building. When they build this building here, do they plan on maybe the roof caving in and killing someone? An architect who designs a five-story building or even a skyscraper does not incorporate in his plans the worker who may fall. However, if he does fall, we have a means in which we can take care of him. We have a means in which we can uh, give the emergency help that's needed. And I see the same thing in the plan of God. I do not believe when God made Adam and Eve that he planned for them to fall. The fall came as a result of their self-will. However, because God in His foreknowledge knew of the possibility, He provided the plan in which Jesus Christ was to come in the world to redeem Him. And I firmly believe that this period called the millennium is an extension of the Garden of Eden. God takes the devil and, and binds him and casts him into the lake of fire for a thousand years. We will be back here on the earth, as far as I can see. If you look in the Scripture, throughout the Scripture there are sprinklings that indicate that we will be back here. One particular place in the Scripture, found in Matthew 5, 5, in the Beatitudes, the Bible says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now God didn't mean we'd inherit the earth as mortal beings, full of sin and iniquity, but He's saying that we will be changed one day through the glory of God when we're caught up to meet Him and then come back to inherit the earth later. Praise God. Think about a thousand years right here in Janesville. You may say, well, Pastor Grant, I'd never want to spend a thousand years here in Janesville. I think you'd change your mind if you knew what those thousand years would really entail. I want to go through some of the conditions of the millennium and it's not necessary that you turn to all these scriptures, but you might want to write some of these down. We'll be going through this hurriedly. In 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, Peter speaks of a day in which salvation will be revealed in the last days. As I carefully consider the context of this, I think Peter is talking about salvation during the last dispensation or the last age. So that salvation will be revealed in that last days. That simply means that everybody is going to have a knowledge of the saving grace of God. Now you may say, well, you mean they're going to be speaking in tongues and such? Well, you see, God, God has only given, God gave the, 
the, under the law, God gave them a written covenant. Before the law, they didn't have a Bible. And God has given us the New Testament covenant. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't make a covenant with people before the law or before grace. But these are the only two dispensations that He put it in writing in. Now, what He's going to do during the millennium, I'm not really for sure. I've got enough to worry about in this dispensation, let alone worry about what's going to happen then. But I do know this, that salvation will, will be revealed in that day. In other words, everybody is going to know about the Lord. I mean, everybody will know about the Lord. Can you feature yourself here in Janesville? And every place you go into, stores, people go out to eat because there are mortals here. Every place you go, people are talking about the salvation of the Lord. Isn't it great what God can do? Isn't it great what the Lord has been doing? Oh, He's so great and He's so mighty. And you can say, well, I just went to Jerusalem last week. Praise God. And it's just so great to, to be in His presence. Oh, hallelujah. Now, does this sound far-fetched? Kind of. <laughs> you know, there's some things in the Bible that's almost too good to be true. <clears throat> Luke says in his gospel in the 18th chapter, verse 30, that there will be a day in which there will come a fresh aspect of eternal life. In other words, it'll just be revealed and we'll understand what it's like and there'll be a freshness involved and we will understand what eternal life is really all about. Also, if we look in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 9, the apostle writes that there will be a rest remaining to the people of God. Praise God. Can you feature staying up 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 hours and never going to sleep and not being tired? So what's going to happen when you're changed from mortal to immortal? You know, sleeping's kind of a waste of time, but it's necessary. I mean, you just kind of blank out for a while and your whole world stops. And you feel cheated when you get up because people have been doing things while you're asleep. Now, there are a lot of people who look at life as being a real drag. You know, I have people come to me all the time and say, I'm so bored and I'm so depressed. You know, I say they, they come to me. They used to come to me and I stopped all that because I, I'm a firm believer that bored people are lazy people. And depressed people are people who do not have any motivation. If you're depressed, you can get out of that in 30 minutes' time if you know how to pray. And if you're bored, you can find plenty of things to do. Uh, if you have nothing to do but go fishing, you know, go fishing. Don't be bored. Go pick up aluminum pop cans in the park and sell those. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of things to keep out of, out of boredom. But can you think about just staying up and never having to rest and everything and and, and praise God, just feeling the power of the Lord. Got the zip, you know, and praise God, and it's there. I like the way Brother Angel walks. I wish I could walk like him. He'd get up here tonight and <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> now, can you feature him doing that for about a thousand years? And you know, one time, what's the time? Well, last time you, you slept, uh, uh, Pastor Ingrid, well, uh, let's see, back in 1981. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> Hebrews the 8th chapter, verse 11, and Jeremiah the 31st chapter, verse 34. Uh, they're going to know the Lord. The Bible also tells us in Isaiah the 11th chapter, verse 9, and Habakkuk the 2nd chapter, verse 11, that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Praise God. That means a total revelation of His plan and everything. Everybody's going to know it then. Praise God. You know, you see somebody who says, well, I know the Lord, but you go up to them and you ask them, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? And they say, have I been what? And you say, do you have the Holy Ghost? And them, the Holy Ghost means anything from a new book to a new record. They don't have any idea when you say you have the Holy Ghost, what they're even talking about. But they've heard of Jesus, see. Praise God. <clears throat> if we go to Isaiah, the second chapter, verse 4, or Micah, the fourth chapter, verse 3, the Bible says in that day that they shall take all of their swords and they shall beat them into plowshares. 
take all the battle implements of Armageddon and all over the world and beat them into plowshares. The earth will be tilled and, and a beautiful garden throughout all the world will be planted. Can you believe that? You take your guns and beat them all into plowshares and such. So all the swords from Armageddon and such are going to beat them all up and, and, and make plows out of them. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? When I was a little kid. I was reared back in East Texas, but there was a big clay hill, red clay. And I used to go up there and a lot of Indian arrowheads, you know, the Indians made. I picked up a lot of those things. And that was kind of a common hobby that we had, you know, bring to school all the arrowheads. We had some this long and some little tiny ones. And so kids would run up and, and the father said, What you been doing today? Just look at all the swords we have. We picked them up over there where there used to be a battle, I suppose. Fought. And what you going to do with them, Dad? Well, we're going to make plowshares out of them. You mean to tell me that we don't need the swords? Nope. Don't need them anymore. Why? Well, because, you see, our primary interest is not defending ourselves. we got a king over in Jerusalem who takes care of us. Praise God. We don't have to worry about it anymore. And I suppose the best part of all this, and I've made reference to it already, the Bible tells in the book of Revelation that the devil is going to be bound for 1,000 years. Praise God. That dirty, rotten devil that comes around and lies to you. <clears throat> now, don't take this out of context, but you can tell him where to go. Because the Bible says that he's going to be bound and cast in the lake of fire for a thousand years. <clears throat> but the most beautiful part of the scripture that I have read to you tonight from Hebrews, the sixth chapter, tells us that right now, during this Holy Ghost dispensation, that there are a select few people who literally experience the conditions that will exist in the age to come. All of the things that we find that are descriptive of the millennium can and should be experienced right here at Bible Truth Center. When Jesus prayed, this is what he said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Praise God. Jesus was saying, I want the kingdom, the kingdom of the millennium, and the kingdom of everlasting eternity to be experienced by my flesh and blood children in this day and in this hour. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I'll tell you what we were doing while the choir was singing. We were tasting of the powers of the world to come. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's exactly what we were doing. Praise God. Peter says there will be salvation revealed in the last days. But Joel, the prophet of old, prophesied concerning the Holy Ghost dispensation. Joel said that thus saith God in the last days will I pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Everybody that wants to taste of what's going to happen in the world to come can taste it right now if they'll receive his spirit. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I don't, I don't know what it would be like to go to the temple where Jesus Christ is, and walk right into his presence. You can feel the tingling sensation all over your spine. You can see the majestic glory, the Shekinah all around. And I'll tell you, when you walk out of there, you'll probably be charged up like a lightning bolt. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But Joel said, Joel said in these last days that people can come into contact with the Spirit of God, and this is tasting of the powers of the world to come. 
Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You see, that's why some sinner can run down to the altar and slide into the altar like a runner sliding into second base. And when he gets up, he dusts himself off and he walks away. Hallelujah. He's got that uh, Floyd Inquist step. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Why? Why? Because he's tasted of the powers of the world to come. Ooh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. I guess one of the most exciting things in my entire experience happened not too long ago. There was a young man that came into our church, and uh, Brother George O'Neill is in charge of our outreach program in our church. And Brother O'Neill is just a very unique type individual. There's no such thing as stopping him. He never gets discouraged. He's never been down and out. He's just a he's a different type guy. You know, if he's if he's preaching on the streets and he does every day. If he preaches on the streets and people walk up and say, I don't like this, it doesn't make him mad. He said, that's all right. There was a time when I didn't like it either. You know, he's just so easy to get along with and this type of thing. But one night he called and said, Brother Graham, I want you to come over to church. Well, I said, Brother O'Neill, it's 1230, 1 o'clock. I said, uh, he said, oh, but he said, I've got a whole group of people over here. He had rented a film and shown it down on the campus. And when I got there, he had one side of the church with about as many people as we have on this side. And I looked out, and Brother O'Neill came up to me and said, Now, he said, we had five car loads. And he said, All I did, I said, Well, how did you get them here? He said, Well, when the film was over, I told him, Wouldn't you like to be baptized? And he said, Nobody said anything. And I said, Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have a baptism at the church right now, if you'd like to come. Well, he hadn't lined up anybody to be baptized. He said, I said that by faith. So he came over there, and here he had all these people. And, and so I began to... to Talk with him. He said, I want you to, to address them. I said, what did I tell him? He said, I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. So here I was. So I began to talk to them, and, and they began to ask questions and such. Anyway, out of that group that night, I guess we baptized five or six or seven. I'm not for sure how many people. But there was a one boy who was 17 years of age who he was the woolliest-looking guy you've ever seen in your life. But the very next service when he came back, he had his hair cut as short as Brother Grecky's hair. I couldn't hardly believe it. Now, his hair was real thick, and when you first get your hair cut, it just sticks out straight like a porcupine. And when he walked in the back door that night, now nobody told him to cut his hair or anything. He just felt that he should get his hair cut because he saw that our men had fairly short hair. And so in he walks, and he's just walking down the aisle just like a wild man almost. And all of a sudden, somebody said, Hallelujah. He said, Whoop, praise the Lord. And he walks on down. He sits on the front, very front view. And well, nobody here knew who this guy was. And so I had to tell him, I said, now, don't anybody uh, uh, just pay any mind to this guy. I said, he'd just been baptized the other night. This is his first church service. I said, I said, stand up, Bernard. He stood up. I said, these are all your brothers and sisters. He stood up and said, well, hello. You know? <laughs> it was just a strange type of situation. Well, then when the choir came up to sing, somebody came up to me and said, Brother Grant said, all right, Bernie sings in the choir. Now, they call him Bernie's, but the name is Bernard. And I said, uh, well, you know that Bernie doesn't sing in a choir yet. I said, he, he was just filled with the Holy Ghost. We have a little time uh, in which they wait, and, and then, of course, I interview them and such. And, and I said, no, he can't sing in the choir. And someone said, it's too late. And I looked up there, and here Bernie was just standing over there with the choir. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Well, <laughs> praise God. But he was so innocent. And salvation was so fresh and so new. When I talked with him in the office, he said, But Pastor, you don't understand where I came from. He said, I was kicked out of three high schools, and now I'm going to a private school. He said, I recently stole a car and robbed my own dad's home. I said, Why'd you rob your own home? He said, Well, I knew there was money there. And I said, Well, what do your parents think about this church? He said, my mother came in and saw my haircut, and she says, what in the world are you into now, Bernie? He says, oh, Mom. He said, this is different. And he began to tell about his experience. Praise God. This changed me, Mom. Bernie had tasted of the powers of the world to come. It had the power to transform him. It had the power to change him. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. The word of the Lord shall be published. 
and to all the land. You know, I believe that God promised us last night in Madison that there's going to be a revival of the name. I believe that. Praise God. Praise God. We felt it there. We, we've experienced, I believe the Bible promises that there will be a revival of the name. I made reference last night. I cannot believe the number of people have recently called me on the phone and said, Pastor, I understand that you folks believe in Jesus' name baptism. When I ask them their name, they say, well, I'd rather not give it. Could you tell me about Jesus' name baptism? And so I begin to tell them. And every person I've talked to has told me, I understand now what you're saying. A revival of the name. Oh, hallelujah. And the very last person that I baptized prior to the one this morning, after it was all over with, she looked at me and she said, Thank you, Pastor Grant. You didn't know this, but I was one of the ladies that called you on the phone and wouldn't give my name. But that explanation on the phone was just a, like a light that opened up in my mind. There never has been a day and an hour in which the world has been ripe for a Jesus' name revival like this day and this hour. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, friend, God's opening eyes. Hallelujah. I say He's opening eyes and understanding that we need to publish the name of the Lord abroad. In that group of people who came that very night that we baptized those people, there was a gentleman from Nigeria, and he began to ask several questions. And I began to answer his questions, and he asked some more, and asked some more, and asked some more. And near the end, he said, well, I guess you're wondering why I'm asking a lot of questions. He stood up. He said, I'm minister so-and-so. He said, I'm from the country of Nigeria. He said, I'm the interior minister of interior. And he said, uh, I noticed when I came in here that you had world missions. He said, I am the man of the government who has to approve every missionary that comes into Nigeria. He said, I've heard something tonight that I've never heard of in my life. And he said, I'm thoroughly convinced that most of the missionaries that we approve to our country are not doing justice to the Word of God. He said, I'm coming back in the fall. And he said, I'd like to bring three or four key ministers of Nigeria with me for schooling here at Calvary Gospel. Because they do not baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, sir, they probably want to, will not want to come. He gave me this explanation. He says, then they have no business in our country. <laughs> Praise God. We are tasting of the powers of the world to come. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God, praise God. And there's a fresh, a fresh aspect of eternal life. You see, when Jesus Christ came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When I came to God in 1961, I was a very, very miserably sick young man. I had bleeding stomach ulcers. I weighed less than 120 pounds. I knew very little about God. And I made my way down an aisle and to pray for me. And somebody whispered in my ear and said, John, you know, the Lord can save your soul and heal you. And they quoted a scripture that Christ can make you whole. I believed it. I believed it. Listen, when the Holy Ghost came upon me, oh, hallelujah, I knew He had healed me also. Praise God. <clears throat> it was April the 15th, 1961. My mother and dad's wedding anniversary is the following week. But that day, for some reason, some of the people in the church were having... Uh, uh, an anniversary party for them out to their house in Texas that time of year. It's hot already. So we went down underneath the tall pines and had all this dinner and they had barbecue chicken. And listen, I hadn't eaten anything like that in years. I, I was just so miserable and so weak. I had big yellow splot blotches all over my skin. The doctor says, You're, you've got some kind of disease other than, than ulcer. We're not really for sure what happened. But when I went through the line that day, I took a half of a barbecued chicken and, and a lot of this tasty stuff. My mother came around. She said, John, you better watch it. I said, no, the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost, and He healed me. 
Praise God. And I'll tell you what happened. I went through the line and I ate it and I began to gain weight. And I gained 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 too much. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. But you see, that's what happens. You see, deliverance in the Bible, salvation in the Bible means to be delivered. And it doesn't just mean be delivered from sin, but it means delivered from anything that puts you in bondage. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the millennium, that's going to be taken away. I walked into the university hospital, I say university, VA hospital, about a year and a half ago, and there was a man dying with cancer. His name was Charlie Peckham, and he was down in the bed, and he was dying, and the doctors told the family, in two days, he will be dead. And I went over to Charlie's bed and laid my hands upon his head and anointed him with oil and prayed for him and walked out of there that day in two days' time when Charlie was to go to the funeral home to be embalmed, friend. He had his suitcase in his hand and he walked out of the hospital. A healed man. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Preacher, what did Charlie do? Preacher, what did Charlie do? He tasted the powers of the world to come. Woo! Glory! Hallelujah! Blessed be the name of the Lord. Woo! Hallelujah! Praise God! Praise God! I remember, it must have been two years ago now, there was a lady who came to our church and we prayed for her. She was demon-possessed. We prayed for a good number of people in Madison who had been demon-possessed. There seemed to be so many there. But I remember as we began to pray for her, this lady, she began to get sick. She began to pull, trying to breathe. She couldn't breathe. And all of a sudden her hands became distorted and she began to foam at the mouth and she vomited on the floor. So bad. Little children sitting back, visitors so skeptical. Then she became very violent. Now, when I pray for people who are demon-possessed, I don't try to hold them. I do not believe that my battle is a physical battle. Carolyn Gregory ran over and jumped on the pew and dove off and hit the altar. Cut her head. She rolled up underneath the pews and kicked and screamed. She's cutting herself and getting blood all over the place. I remember that night when all the saints gathered around and we stretched forth our hand. We bind this devil by the blood and the power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that Carolyn Gregory will be cleansed and made whole. And all of a sudden, the kicking underneath the pews began to subside. I could hear her breathing. And then all of a sudden, she got up with a glow on her face. She looked around. She said, folks, I'm free. She said, I'm free. We took her in the back room and baptized her. And when we baptized her, the water was bloody where she'd cut herself. But she walked out of that baptismal room that night and stood before all of our people. She's still living for God today. She said, so, she said, I'm free. You folks don't know what it means to be free from an agonizing, tormenting devil. She was tasting of the powers of the world to come. For in that age he shall be bound a thousand years and cast in the sea. The bottomless pit, rather. Oh, friend of mine, listen to me tonight. Bride of Christ, hear me tonight. God in no dispensation has ever provided a situation like the situation that you are presently in tonight where you can taste of heavenly powers in an earthbound vessel. I've heard people say, oh, she's as sweet as an angel. And while we're envying the angels, some wish they were Gabriel and some Michael and some just wish they were an angel. But the Bible says the angels look down. Oh, hallelujah. And I can see an angel looking down tonight. And what we're saying, I wish that I were an angel. An angel saying, I wish I could be Floyd Inquist. Oh, hallelujah. For Peter said, the angels desire to look into that 
which you and I experience through the power of the Holy Ghost. We are tasting, truthfully tasting, of the powers of the world to come. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't believe there's a devil in hell that's big enough to destroy the child of God or put down the church that continually prays and experiences a fleet flow of God's Holy Spirit. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Oh, hallelujah. Oh, oh, thank God. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and just taste of the powers of the world to come. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, glory. Would you stand with me right now? I feel the Lord wants to minister to us in His Spirit. Just reach out for Him, would you? God's got a blessing for you tonight, brother. He wants you to taste of the heavenly powers. And while these people are praising the Lord, if you understand that you need God, if you need healing or whatever you need, feel free to just step right out and come and stand on either side of the pulpit. We have brothers and sisters who are full of the heavenly powers of God who will gather around you and pray with you tonight. Would you reach out in prayer and adoration to the Lord? Hey, hallelujah. Oh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Hallelujah. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh, praise God, praise God. God bless this one who has come tonight. Some of you young men come and gather around him and pray with him. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Others are coming. If you see someone that you can come and pray with, would you come on right now? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We're going to drink some more. We're going to taste some more. Praise God, praise God, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. 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 Praise God.